0: Welcome to TSG Talk. TSG Talk aims to contribute positively towards the care of an injured casualty or vulnerable patient. If your goal is to maximise your input for the people you care for, then TSG Talk is for you. Our podcast will interview colleagues who are at the cutting edge of their professions. Often they're involved in creating solutions for areas that historically have proven difficult or have a wealth of experience in a particular complex response. Each podcast will provide unique, engaging content. At TSG Associates, we will always strive to ensure our solutions are ahead of the curve and positively impact on the quest for prioritising survival and minimising suffering. We believe TSG Talk will complement our vision and provide a platform to enhance your response. It is my pleasure to now pass you across to our host, senior partner at TSG, Colin Smart.
1: Good evening, and welcome to the latest edition of TSG Talk, A Long Wait, Seriously Injured and Waiting for the Ambulance, a Patient's View. There are numerous reports of longer waited time for ambulances. So what's it like for the patient when they are seriously injured and have a prolonged wait for professional care to arrive? Understanding the needs of a patient is critical, and learning from somebody who has actually been seriously injured is of huge benefit. So with this in mind, let me introduce our guest tonight. Ted Little, not only a patient who suffered a serious injury with a prolonged wait time, but more importantly, my father-in-law. So good afternoon, Ted. How, how are you today? Uh, good afternoon, Colin. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really well. Thank Excellent. you for asking. No worries. No worries. Well, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Ted. I'm really looking forward to this, uh, this conversation with you and just really learning from from the experience that, that you underwent. Um, just Just before we go into actually what happened and, and the consequences of that. Uh, can you just give our, our listeners just a little bit of your background here? Because obviously I know it quite well, but it, it is an interesting background and I think it would be quite useful for people just to learn some of your own experiences.
2: Okay. Uh, well, I'm currently 77. I was age 76 when the, um, I experienced the fall last year. I'm fit for my age. Um, just because I think this is relevant also. I'll say I'm 175 centimetres tall. And I, I weigh 66 kilograms. So I'm not overweight, in other words. And uh, um, and that's reflected in why I said I'm fortunate I'm fit for my age. I'm on very little medication. Um, I've been active all my life. Uh, I uh, left school, went into agriculture, um, and I, I, I did... Um, Open air things um, with that for quite a while and uh, I became a school teacher in my um my late twenties and and then I, I moved into outdoor pursuits instructing as part of that uh, and uh, <clears throat> and then well in my my mid thirties um, mid to late thirties i um, set up a an outdoor business um, with my wife and uh, where we, we, we went skiing, took people skiing in the winter and uh, in the summer, uh, it was uh, adventure activities with smaller numbers. Uh, that business was sold in, in about 1992, and, but overlapping with that, I, I'd become an independent outdoor skills practitioner. So and I worked in, in in a lot of with a lot of different companies and and um, and organisations, but in 1994, because of uh, uh, health circumstance to my son, um, I cut all of that back and um, I worked hard on a uh, my a hobby I had moved into, which was cycling, and from 1994. Uh, I got heavily became heavily involved in cycling development, and uh, that's taken a form since where I've um, invented, created, literally several thousand kilometers of signed and mapped cycle routes. I write guidebooks for cycle routes, and uh, and I create maps for for cycle routes. So I still keep pretty busy.
1: Fantastic! It's certainly um, been been a, a varied and, and incredibly active life you've had Ted, and uh, just just uh, if any of our listeners are interested in, into cycle routes, um, certainly I would recommend any of your guidebooks. So just check Ted Ted Little and cycling. I think um, uh, there's nothing wrong with giving you a, giving you a, a bit of a push on the on, on, on TSG talk. They are fantastic books, and I've been on on many of the routes that you've um, you know. With, with the detail you put into it and, and how you guide people along there. They are fantastic. So just um, going back to the actual day of the incident, Ted, um, could you just give us um, really what was happening before the incident happened and then and, and maybe take us up to when it actually happened? Just give us a, a yes. little bit of background on that, please.
2: Um, the incident took place five miles away from... Uh, my home in the town of Hexham, which is uh, my, my my nearest uh, metropolis, um, I had to, I advise um, a cycling charity that had just set up, set up in Hexham, and um, they were in, in newly um, starting uh, to operate from a, a premises that had a high Leylandi hedge surrounding it. And, uh, they asked me, well, they said, do I know anybody who could, um, reduce the height of that, uh, hedge, uh, more, well, hedge is the wrong word. You know, the, the trees that were very tall. Well, I, I said, well, look, I, I'll offer to do that because I'm, I'm qualified to use a tra- chainsaw, very experienced. And, uh, it, with that, because we provide logs for, for our home and, uh, Um, So I went down with my son, my adult son, who I knew I was going to have to go up a ladder, and uh, uh, Angus, my son, um, stands guard at the bottom of the ladder, keeps it steady, and what happened was I'd been cutting for about an hour and a quarter, Um, my chainsaw had uh, run out of uh, fuel, I came down and sat down, had a cup of tea, and had a rest, and um, it was time to uh, resume work. So I changed the chainsaw. I, I didn't top the other one up. I changed it to a different chainsaw because I was a bit concerned that the other one had got slightly blundered. And I ascended the ladder to um, a height of 2.4 metres. I've measured it since and that's where I was standing but but um, uh, before I could clip into something to um, keep me safe well what happened was I experienced a, a vascular syncope my heart missed a beat now nothing like that's ever happened to um, me before except uh, the very first occasion when I uh, met my wife before um, we, we began to go out uh, I missed a beat then I um but seriously never for real have i had anything to affect my heart it's been very strong well what immediately happened was um if i hadn't got clipped in um it was just a, a beat because when i i regained consciousness halfway between where i'd been standing and where i was um on the ground so I instantly I became aware of the situation. Three things occurred to me in the, in the fastest of speed. First of all, I recognized I was falling. Secondly, I knew the ground, um, I was going to meet the ground imminently. And I, the third thing I knew is it was going to hurt. So I was actually horizontal and relaxed when I uh, landed on my, the right side of my body and at that at that exact moment um, the right half of my rib cage acted as a crumple zone and later on it was uh, i learned it was 12 ribs that had been broken so i knew instantly that um, the uh, the extent of of the the injury that i had suffered um and and of course <laughs> there was a lot of pain. Um, now, I, I'm not a person that panics. And the first thing that I did was move my fingers on both my hands. And then I moved my toes. I couldn't move my legs. But I wasn't worried about that at the time, because uh, I knew that if my toes were operating that there was a good chance. Now, I did just sort of move my knees slightly, and so I, I could send a message down to my lower limbs. Now, I was in intense pain at that time, but there's something about having been, um, perhaps it's because I've been a mountaineer, and, you know, suffered great discomfort as part of my uh, work and as a hobby. But I, I, I didn't panic, and I and, and my son was... It instantly came to me. Um, he was unable to to stop my fall because I, I went, I fell to the side, and um, I told him that uh, I I had um, some pretty bad injuries, but that I felt that um, I wanted to put his mind at rest. And I said, look, I really don't think I've fractured my spine. I haven't broken my neck. I'm not going to move my head, but I I I, I, I can <laughs> uh, go inside. Get the guys out. Tell them that I've fallen, and, um, and and then we'll take it from there. So he came. They came straight out instantly, seriously concerned. But I couldn't really look at their um, faces at all. I, I could, but I could hear their voices. So um, that that's what that's what led up to the fall, and that's the fall described.
1: Okay, no, that's a, that's a hugely um, detailed um, explanation of, of of what actually happened. So, from what I'm seeing, is um, it, it was a fall from a ladder about two point four meters. Um, you you were conscious in the fall, and and you 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 had quite an awareness of what was going on at the time, and then. A, a high level of awareness about maybe the serious seriousness of of the injuries that you had, and you were almost doing a self check as as those things happened. Um, what, I, I support, what I'm trying to get to in this question, I think, is just trying to understand um, the thought process of somebody who, who's had a significant uh, mechanism to cause an injury, and and then obviously realizes they've got uh, a, a significant injury and and serious injury as well. Once. I suppose you, you hit the ground and you've alluded a little bit to this already. But but what, what how, how did you feel? Did you feel frightened when when you got everything settled? Did you feel in control? Was there any sort of thoughts going through you at that point of time? What I suppose what were your emotions once you actually realised what had happened?
2: I go back to saying there was a lot of pain. Um, I mean that was honest. I didn't lie on the ground scoring it out of 10, but when I look back, um, it was it was way, way up uh, in the nine region. Um, I've got a, quite a good uh, pain threshold, and um, I, so I'm aware of that. But I knew instantly that I had d- damaged myself in the fall. Um, I never panicked, not not for one moment, neither did I cry out or shout in pain, though I was in pain. I think it's my training over the years, being trained as a mountaineering instructor, um, having spent a lot of time um, in the hills, uh, in this country, in you know, Scotland and, and in the Alps, um, dealing with... Injuries, severe injuries that I've come across, funny enough, not ones that have happened with me, but I've because I've been there, I've come across several deaths and I've come across um, injured, really injured people. And I, I don't panic. And, um, and, and, and that is the, the overall feeling that I had. I know I'm badly injured. I don't know how many bones I've broken but I've certainly broke broken bones what I need to do now is um take control of the situation as much as I could and 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 that's what happened the guys came out from the cabin where they were and I talked to them i mean they were pleased to the fact that I was talking but I I then explained to them uh even whether I mean, these are some outdoor guys as well, but um, there, were, there were two, and I said, obviously, don't move me, keep me warm, um, get the ambulance here as fast as you can, please. And I and I and I didn't speak in a in an unemotional voice because I was in pain, but neither did I panic, and neither was I frightened. Um, I just knew that it was serious and that we needed expert help to, to get me lifted up and um, taken to hospital. (laughs) The ironic thing is the nearest hospital was a 10 minute walk away, but um, under normal circumstances. But this was when the delays in the ambulance service had begun to hit. And uh, uh, I, I, I didn't think that I would have to wait the length of time that I did but that'll explain how I reacted um I took it very seriously um and I, I knew it was serious but as I say I didn't I, I didn't show alarm and fear I didn't want my son to, to, to be any more worried than I knew he would be so um that, that that was and the fact that I'd, I'd i was able to move my fingers and toes and i and i did that every few minutes i didn't just do it once um that that was just a presence of mind that I, I was i was able to do um i can go on and tell you a little bit about um the the next phase
1: yeah, that that yeah that 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 would be good. But just just to summarise what you were you saying, Ted, is that what what I'm learning from that is that you you did realise that you had a, a a serious injury, but actually all your responses were very controlled. You you didn't feel out of control. You you were. Try- it sounds like you were analysing. Okay, what am I dealing with? How do we, how how do we fix the problem? As opposed to. Yeah. Irrational thoughts. Um, so it's, it's quite interesting how logical you were thinking at, at the time, um, which, which is interesting to note. But yeah, that would be fantastic. Just to, um, I mean, I think what we find often when, you know, we're going through this phase uh, with injured people at the moment, we we might have prolonged care um, waiting on an ambulance. Um, you know, what the bystanders actually do and the people who get first give you treatment and, and could be caring for you for a, for a reasonable period of time. It's interesting to, you know, learn from your experience really what worked and, 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 and what didn't work. That didn't mean, that's not mean to say it was wrong, but it's always nice to know if there was something that we could improve on so we, we can enhance care in the future. So could you just tell me a little bit about the bystander care that happened and, and maybe some of the, the the pros and cons of what went on on as well?
2: The two guys that, that came out um, were, were shocked and I knew and though I couldn't see them I mean one of them did you know get down and, 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 uh, on his knees next to me and, and, and look at my face and, and, and we talked, but I, I, I couldn't um, he couldn't stay like that and, and I couldn't and, and wouldn't move my head because I was so still and I wasn't tempted to do to to move anywhere had that been the case, it would have been good to know that one of them would have held my head and kept it absolutely still. but I did that myself it, i don't want to sound egotistical I really don't but I'm, I'm perhaps a bit exceptional to a member of the public who falls and gets very badly injured it hasn't got my background and um, so my that, that history that I've got over many, many years, and I don't know how many first aid courses, and uh, one in particular from um, a man that you introduced me to, doing a five-day uh, remote area trauma life support course, uh, which was a huge life-changing experience learning um, what I was taught over those five days. So I was reassuring the two guys who came out to help that um, I was really directing as much as I could, but I was in pain. I couldn't speak calmly exactly, but I wasn't panicking as I have mentioned that. So, but they knew straight away that it was important to keep me warm. Now, they couldn't insulate me because... Now, the, the date was April 7th, so it, it wasn't a warm day, but neither was it a bitterly cold day. Um, but it was too cold to be lying on the ground for the length of time I was, and uh, that was a long time. So it was estimated in the region of two and a half hours that I had to wait before... Um, an ambulance arrived now the longer I lay the worse the pain got and the more I was wanting to hear that ambulance coming along the road and it just didn't come And and I'm lying on the ground no insulation, I'm aware of that I had chainsaw trousers on which are warm very warm on the front side, but not on the back side. That's the design of them. And they're very warm on the front because they're protective. they got this layer of, of Kevlar um, threads um, in. So that was extremely useful. It has to be said that the when the ambulance uh, guys did, um, paramedics did arrive, um, they didn't find it easy to cut them off me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I hardly knew that was happening by then because before they did that uh, no I'll I'll come back to that but um but anyway I, the 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 guys got as many coats and 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 stuff I don't know what it was but you know I got covered up as much as it was possible they couldn't get anything underneath me it would have been too dangerous to lift my body at all so um um They kept me warm. They talked to me. That was really important. I had stressed to them that I wasn't uh, in a terrible panic, but I was in a lot of pain. So they talked to me to keep me conscious because I was wanting to drift out, to drift away, um, to become unconscious. And I tried to keep awake. I remember um, I said that, I lay there for two and a half hours, so conversation is really important. Conversation is a soft word, but talking to me, uh, they also kept giving me reassurance that they were, you know, they they, they, they kept calling the the ambulance and it would be here as soon as possible and so, and they they were calm. I think the fact that I was calm passed over to them and. And they, they, they felt calm as well. Um, the other thing that they they, they did, which is something I, I prompted and and was uh who to contact. It was important that um oh, well, that my wife would be told. But because my wife has MS, I didn't want her to be told too soon. I didn't want her to be told details that were imprecise. And so um, I asked them not to call home until uh, more was known uh, about the situation. And, uh, and, and, and a friend of mine, uh, I gave a, a phone number of a friend of mine who, who would live less than a mile away. A very, very good close friend and uh, who um, I've known for many years. Um, and, and he came. He was called and he was available and he came straight round and it was good to hear to hear hear his voice. So what I'm saying there is calmness, reassurance, being talked to, kept warm. They were um, th- they were key factors in the 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 interchange that was going on between the people who were wanting to help me and and do the best thing for me. And, uh, um, that's, that, that's how that, uh, worked out and having lasted that t- in that two and a half hours, um, I, I, I they talked to me a lot. It gets silly when you run out of questions like what size shoes do you take, but it makes you think, <laughs> and, and I knew what they were doing and I, I, I praised them for it. I said, keep going, keep going. And, uh. And that that that, that's, that that transpired but I, I i can't remember now whether i lost consciousness before the paramedics give me some uh, painkilling that would make me lose consciousness i can't i can't remember the order of that but i can't remember hearing the ambulance arrive eventually but I loved the words when they talked to me, when the guys around me said, it, they, they're here, they're here now. And uh, what, what transpired after that? Um, the, I had two, they, they didn't speak to me much, That, that which surprised me. But um, the, the first thing, obviously I felt that my trousers were being cut off me and um, perhaps some of of my other clothes I I couldn't really tell because I think they give me an injection almost as soon as they arrived but I did tell them that I was um, allergic to morphine and that that would make me very sick and uh, so they didn't give me morphine they gave me ketamine which was Awful, an absolutely awful experience. But it dulled the pain. Um, it gave me terrible nightmares um, between being lifted off the ground and um, and waking up in the in the hospital in a bed. Uh, terrible, terrible hallucinations. But um, anyway, the that's what they did. They gave me ketamine, and um, in and out of in and around that time could feel some tugging going on while they were cutting away at my clothes what 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 did hurt was when one of them stepped next to me I don't know you know you should never step over a patient but and kicked my feet and that went right up my body that was awful he didn't kick it on purpose he chipped over my feet and uh, and so that was a, a um, I wasn't pleased at that and I told them that. Um, but the other thing that they did, and I was conscious of, was put a, a foil blanket under me. And I said, I don't want one of those. Said, they're, they're useless. Uh, you know, they, they keep, you know, like a flask, they keep cold things cold. And uh, um, they said, This is what you're getting, mate. You, it's it's on you and it's stopping on you. So I had no choice in the matter. <laughs> but I asked them not, not to. It was that they were wasting their time, and it was it,
1: it, if it made them feel feel better. Well, okay. So, so just just on that, Ted. I mean, i of sheer interest, and I I'd, I'd like to come back and summarise a little bit about the the first responder's actions as well. But when when I obviously, as you know, we're we're big into you know the research into hypothermia management and um, foil blankets is something we we have questioned. When they put that on you. Did did you feel that did anything at all? Um, it's it's definitely not a loaded question. I'm genuinely interested. Do you feel did did you get any benefits from 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 that not, at all?
2: Not a <clears throat> not a thing. There was n- I felt no benefit whatsoever. It was a a, a very lightweight material that crinkled. Um, I knew what was going on, um, and I knew why they were doing it. Uh, and then and I had those that. Brief conversation with them, but mm-hmm. you no, know, give me no benefit whatsoever. Right. But I think, I think, oh, just to say, not long after that, um, I, w- I was knocked
1: out. All right. Let, let, let me just go back a little bit, Ted, because um, I found some of the things from a, uh from the from the Bison Undertaker really interesting and. Why I think it's so interesting, it backs up an awful lot of what other people have told us about what's important about bystander care or or actually not just bystander care, professional care as well. But everything, anytime we interview somebody who's been injured uh, and we say, what was the most important thing? It's the bystander communicating to the injured person that I am in control. Um, and th- there's a, that, that level of reassurance is really important. Um, so I think one lesson we, we constantly get from from tsg talk is actually being very calm in front of an injured person even though inside as a bystander you might be panicking being able to communicate calmness is, is actually really important uh that, that's something that's really interesting it, it constantly comes out um the other thing and i found this quite interesting as well when you're saying the communications to talk to you for up to two and a half hours um i, I had a similar experience we had a uh, an injured rugby player a few months ago, that we had a three-hour wait for uh, on the rugby pitch. Uh, it was a, it was definitely um, lots of positive spinal injury signs. So we had him immobilised. We were quite lucky with the kit that we had. We we had insulating systems. We we had uh, blow-up shelters, so we we controlled it. But again, just another tip because as a as a bystander, I, I was the the appointed first aider that day. You do run out of things to talk to somebody after three hours. And um, what we did, um, and it worked quite well, we said to him, what team do you support? And it, he was a Leeds United supporter. So we said, okay, let's find if there's a game on. And uh, we, we set up his mobile phone. It was Leeds Manchester United, I think. And he actually listened to the, we, got, we put the, the football on for him inside the little shelter we had. And that was quite useful because it took his mind off purely concentrating on, on his condition. And you're right, after two and a half hours, you, it's very, very difficult um, to to have a conversation with, with an injured person because, you know, you can't actually go into deep debate. <laughs> you know, there's, there's other things going on. But that was something I found worked very well. And it also allowed us to comment on how the game was going. Um, and it, again, you're always working these small percentages of improving care. So I think that's something I would recommend is, you know, conversation will have its limitations if it's a long wait, what we've both experienced, the two and a half hours to the three hour wait, think about how else you can entertain, might not be the right word but how else can you can deflect um, the patient solely being concentrated on the injury and that day it was just bringing up the Leeds United, Man United game on the radio and and, and it worked pretty well uh, So, but coming back to I think the most important point for the bystander care is being able to give that reassure, reassurance, um, I think human empathy is a massive thing when, when you're in those situations and, and shouldn't be understated. It's also interesting when you talk to some senior clinicians, um, uh, one really interesting one was um, one of the doctors we'd interview who did, had done a very complex cave rescue and um I asked him, what, what does a senior clinician bring? He says, well, often with the injuries we've got, there's not a lot we can do in the places we are. But what we can bring is a level of calm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if any bystander has to give care, if they can bring a level of calm to the situation, even if they can't give a significant level of clinical input, I think that's very important. And that's certainly something we, we're finding time and time again, where we, we're getting brought up, that, that, that calmness, reassurance, I am in control, is It's really important, so you've sort of alluded to the the treatment already that ketamine wasn't a a nice experience, and um, getting your feet kicked really wasn't nice as well um but can was there there, there anything uh, when the professional care did arrive, and I completely understand when you hear those sirens it's it's a, it is an absolute wonderful sound well how how would you say you felt when you heard that siren? was there a general relief? Oh, or did you still have a oh. high level of concern? Was what were I suppose, what were your emotions when you knew the ambulance was was now there?
2: I didn't actually hear the sirens. I thought I would. It, it was uh, I was told by the um, the guys around me uh, that they'd arrived, and so it was a verbal message that I received, and it was it was lovely to hear. And and I, uh, of course I I was getting very close to the, my limit by then of um, being able to to stay in control and uh, and and you know my thoughts were oh goodness about time as well um, you know have you been uh, I didn't say that to them that was a, a thought going in my head um, didn't want them leaving me. On the ground after I defended them, but because I knew they were they were working under pressure, um, but they must have knocked me out pretty early on, and and as I say, it was not before I'd um, I knew that the uh, they, they were putting me c- c- putting me with a, a, a thin foil blanket on top of me. What I can't remember is being sh- uh, no, I can ever so slightly remember. Um, being eased onto a um, a, a lifting uh, platform. what would what, what you would you call it a,
1: probably a backboard I would think yeah, or,
2: yeah. I was lifted onto that um, to then be lifted up um, on on onto the the stretcher on wheels to be taken uh, but by then I'd, I'd gone I I'd, but I remember feeling all of that and a lot of relief, a huge amount of relief. Just going back to the, the, um, the point that you made about um, how, how much you can talk to somebody and uh, what you can say. Um, something that I've practiced, and here's me as the patient describing this, but when I've been on the scene, um, I'm a great believer in human touch. Now, when somebody is injured, there's not a lot of touch you can do, um, a lot of touching that you can do, but uh, the most of the the patient should be covered up anyway. There's very little skin that you can touch, and it has to be gentle, and uh, and and the right amount, the right time. But uh, I think it's it's almost it's. I think it's been proved you know how good it is for people to have a cuddle from someone you know when they're mm. feeling down well I would not saying that you do that but it's the the message is just the touch and and to you know in, I have given that followed that action when I've come across people and I've been treating them uh, in wild remote places in, in, in some pretty awful weather and uh, just to be able to i mean holding somebody's hand it, it it's invaluable mm. and to to do that without changing their body shape to cause any more problems or even just to lay your hand on the back of somebody else's hand or on their palm um i think it it it, it there's a there's a warmth there's a strength uh, there's a comfort gets transferred from one body to another, from a strong body to a weak body. I, think, um, I, I really believe in that.
1: Yeah, you've brought a really, really interesting point. And um, I, one, I think you're correct. Um, it was interesting, we did a, a, pod, a few podcasts ago, uh, I talked to um, a hugely experienced colleague and friend, David Whitmore, who's who has been to multiple, multiple um, major incidents and multiple casualty incidents, and and he was recounting um an I think it was an entrapment in one of the tubes, and uh, all he could do was get his hand into the patient from from where she was trapped, and when when he and they successfully rescued her and she she ended up with a perfectly you know high quality life and it, it was a wonderful job done, but the one thing when David was talking to her on a debrief, if I remember correctly, is the one thing she remembers is holding his hand oh. because he, he put his hand through the wreckage. Um, and she said, the one thing that really got me through that was feeling the human touch. And I, th- I think, again, this is bringing out, um, you know, medicine has moved on from, a, you know, our ability to diagnose a sophistication of what we do, but I don't think we should ever go away from that how important the calming influence the human touch the the empathy yeah. for the injured person and that's something i suppose what i'm getting from from this conversation is that you've you've basically reinforced again how important it is over and above all the, the clinical input which is hugely important um, to to get the outcome that that we did you know you, you've recovered very well and living an incredibly energetic life again um but the things you remember is the human touch, um, and that is something. It's certainly I, I feel time and time again. People are telling me, whether it's a patient or whether it's the clinician, they're telling me that that's the, the most, probably one of the most important things that we we can provide. Uh, so no, really, really, really interesting what what you're, you're you're picking up there. I mean, if you were to to look at the professional response um, with the the scenario that you were in, where you'd be in there for two and a half hours. Is there anything, is there any maybe one particular point you could say that went really well? Or because I've been on the ground for two and a half hours, I'd have liked you have done this a little bit different. Anything you could pick up on at all when when, you know, if we were to talk to somebody who may approach a patient in your circumstance, that they could bear in mind that it's important when you've been in that position for that for a long time?
2: Well, the the three things that I would Say uh, that the 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 people on the scene should keep up the most in their mind as being so important. Um, now we we've covered touch. Verbal assurances are so so important. Uh, not being lied to, but um, but being but being given positive um, words sharing positive thoughts I think is really important another aspect I think is updates I think it's really important to be updated now the update might be we've been on the phone again um, there's a big deal there's a delay that the, but they the, we know that they know that you need help and and we have their assurance that they'll be here as quickly as possible. Now, that that to a certain extent is um, a little bit of flannel, but you know, to hear that is 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 priceless. So updates is, is important. I think the last of the the points that I would share over this um, um, process that's that's happening while someone's waiting is the importance of asking the patient questions. Now um, that I believe is important because it stimulates the patient to think, be forced into thinking. Now I'm, I'm, I'm lying there thinking, I know why you're asking me that, (laughs) but I'm pleased that you are. Mm -hmm. And I'll play along with that because I know how important it is. So, Asking questions, but that was important to me. But I knew that my answers were providing information to them. So the questions is very much a two-way process. Um, and, and and I think they're the, the most important um, points that I would say came out of um my, my weight, I say two and a half hours. I mean, they, nobody kept an exact t- uh, clock on it. It, it. it was, it was in addition, to, it was longer than that. But it wasn't over three, but it was creeping up towards three. And, of course, later on, I discovered I had a punctured lung. Um, I had uh, a fractured uh, pelvis. Uh, it had fractured in the loop area in, in, in my groin. I had uh, cracks on my pelvic girdle around my back. As well, and um, the um, the sacrum bone at the bottom of my spine had fractured, so, uh, alongside as I mentioned at the start, twelve ribs. So, and anybody who's had a broken rib, one broken rib knows how sore that, how painful that is. So it was sixteen uh, fractures that I had, and uh, uh, but of course I'm lying there, not knowing the extent that I had fractures. I just knew. That, um, that, that I had fractures and that that need, needed attention. So, you know, the, the, anyway, that, that's what I had. While I'm lying there, that was the process. That was what my thinking was. That was what was, what was going through my head. And, and strangely, I, I was controlling this, uh, um, quite a bit of what was going on. But then I slowly ebbed from uh, the ability to do that. As uh, pain took over, and um, and I and I was so grateful for the the input from those people who were near me.
1: Fantastic. No, that's those are wonderful points. And and again, if if I can summarise, um, I think the human the, the the human empathy to towards the injured person is is what I'm getting. That's really important. That human touch, the verbal communications, the reassurance, the providing um, as accurate updates as possible which which is really important and I'm constantly asking those questions and and I think that's what I'm getting here is that the interaction with your injured person is really important um and 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 to constantly keep that going um outside of whatever clinical interventions you ha- you can or cannot do that that part um, from the person who's actually injured is, is really important to them, and I ask, and I think I go back to previous conversations that so this is something where we're, we're picking up time and time again. It's picked up as probably one of the most important things we can give as as providers. No, that's that's fantastic. The one thing I would also pick up from that is the updates. I think is important. As I say, I I talked earlier about um, I had a three-hour wait with an injured rugby player. Um, And I think one of the problems I had is that I couldn't get an update from the ambulance service about how fast or slow they were going to be. To an extent, I understood there was pressure on the systems. I wasn't that bothered about how long they were going to be, but I couldn't find out because they didn't know exactly how long they were going to be, it was very difficult for me to plan my next stage as a responder. So if I was to put anything in from a how can you help the responders on scene, let's give them a, a, a realistic time limit so they can start to make their own plans. Uh, because not knowing I was going to be there for 30 minutes or an hour or ended up three hours. I wasn't able to forward plan as much as, much as I would have liked to because they didn't have that information. So I think updates from the emergency services when there's prolonged waits, I think, is something I've picked up as quite important as well. And I think it's something useful feedback to services who are who are always trying to improve the care, the care that they can give. Well, Ted, this has been an absolutely wonderful uh, conversation. We're about a year post-injury. I think you said yes. it happened at early... Um, April last year. Um, obviously, I know what you're up to at the moment, but can you you just let our listeners know how how you've recovered and um, just tell them the passive of life you continue to live.
2: The uh, the treatment that I got in in the hospital was first class, and the the the, the doctors were universally brilliant and um, really genuinely interested in in. What I was doing, and um, it, it, with my life generally, and uh, and what they said was that uh, well we think, when you know, when, when we don't, the the break was clear, clean, in, in in your lower pelvis, we're going to let that come together. Um, we think you'll make a good recovery. We don't know if you will. We don't know what nerve damage there'll be, but we think that you stand a good chance of making a, a a pretty reasonable recovery and i began to recover quite quickly f- um after i, I, I was in the, the the first ward that 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 i was in um that would be well one nurse to two beds and uh you know to, all was there all the time and the 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 physio they began on day two, which I thought was seriously cruel, um, trying to get me to stand and <laughs> sit up, and that was in terrible, terrible pain because I couldn't take morphine. But it was the right thing, and they kept saying, "Goodness, you're doing well." And um, then, then I went through the various um, bits of, of kit that they give you from from um, you know pro- propping. Stools that, that that you just lower yourself onto, just to eventually first stand and, um, and 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 going through the the walking stick thing. And before I got to walk, you said, you know, double crutches and uh, this type of thing. And I went through these things quite quickly, and uh, but it it was it was 19 days before I got home, and um, the the stages I went through were. were I'd gone through quite quickly and and the the medical people that that were in touch with me were saying, that's remarkable, the the speed that you are healing at your age. And they said, we'd like to suggest that um, your lifestyle, your attitude to life, your diet um, are hugely relevant to the rate of um, your recovery. And, the, and increasing the chance of you you making a good recovery um, the fact that I'd, I'd I i do not smoke I've never smoked and 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 I'm I'm a hundred percent tea total because I don't like the taste not nothing there's no other issue in that he um, said look that's all great tea you you've, you've been like that all your life and it's it's going to benefit you now um, quite quite significantly and so i i was patient i didn't rush and try to to get active too soon and i was just very gently um worked back to 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 walking uh in the in those various stages that you go through to get to that and then i was very careful to get when i chose to get back on my bike uh i didn't get on any sooner than i needed to because even an exercise bike because I was sitting on the, the fracture area, couldn't do that. And uh, to the extent now that almost a year later, I've just led a group of 13, 12, 12, because I was the 13th, 12 other cyclists on a three-day uh, mountain biking trip to the Lake District, where two days we were on the bike spanning seven hours uh, on, on some pretty challenging terrain. And one day, uh, the, the the last day was five hours. So I'm still I'm I'm back outputting, um, still sk- I'm back skiing, and and um, uh, uh, being as active as 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 I as I possibly can, and, and that's my plan for the the, the, the future is
1: Oh, that's fantastic to hear, Ted. So I would say, um, from such a serious injury within a year. Hundred percent recovery, um, which, which is absolutely wonderful to hear. Look, Ted, it's been an absolute pleasure to to talk with you today. Um, some of the points you brought out are hugely important as we, you know, as, as we all progress, how we we can improve our care for for seriously injured people. And I think trying to understand the. It's almost a new dynamic of what it's like to care for somebody who, who's had a prolonged wait, which is something we are seeing more of now. is is very important as well. So I really appreciate you you, you giving our story. So thank I you, pleasure. everybody. Sorry, Ted. Sorry.
2: My, my um, pleasure. Um, it, I'm, I'm pleased to if 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 it can help someone else.
1: And and that, that I think that's that's hugely commendable. And some of the points you brought out absolutely will, especially the. I think the point you bring about about the softer touches and how important they are. I think that we we I don't think we can say that enough um, to to emphasize how important how important that is. So it has been a wonderful conversation tonight, Ted. Um, and once again, th- thank you for your time. Um, if any of our listeners would would like to ask any further questions on the subject, uh, we'll put a link up onto our LinkedIn page at TSG Associates. Um, we'll also have the podcast and all the main sites and, and on our web. And our webpage as well. So thank you once again for listening. Uh, we will be back soon with another unique subject and a unique colleague, and we will look forward to uh, connecting with everybody soon again. Thank you very much. Goodbye.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of TSG Talk. We hope you found the content of benefit. Should you have any questions or require additional information, please visit tsgassociates.co.uk.